this morning, as we move into the time of the message, you know, this is the second time I've ever preached live online like this. And uh, there are some disadvantages and it's kind of weird and learning some new things, but there's also some advantages in that uh, if you're willing, we get to interact a little bit. And now that means that if I say something that is just so profound and that you just never heard it, anything like that, and it is just amazing, you can comment. Now, I'm not going to say anything like that probably, but you can comment amen if you agree with something. Uh, you can put up little praise hand emojis and and celebrate. Um, or if you have a question, you can throw in a question along the way. And if I'm able to see it, um, I can uh, comment or try to address it while I'm preaching. And so this morning, I want to begin with a question for you. And I'd love to hear your response in the comments. And that is this. Are you tired of staying at home yet? And there are three possible answers here. Yes, I'm tired of staying at home. Two, no, I'm not tired of staying at home. This is this is kind of nice, a little bit different in a break. Or three, my family is having to trap me inside of my house so that I don't go out into the community. Okay, so yes, you're tired of being at home. Two, no, you're not. Or three, your family is having to talk you off uh, off from going out in your vehicle and going and doing anything. Okay. Um, and so let me just make a disclaimer here. I think that staying at home, as the officials have told us, is one of the most loving things we can do during this time to love our neighbors, uh, to help slow the spread of the virus, to help our healthcare system deal with things more manageably. Um, and so I want to encourage you to stay at home. With that said, I, I will say this, that I have never been a homebody. When I kind of left and went to college, my dorm room was like my home base. And all I did was sleep there and I did everything else everywhere else. Then when I finally moved in my own house and I was eating um, at my place, I would eat and I would sleep. And that was my home base, right? That was that was like all I did. Anything else I did elsewhere. It's like, hey, if I'm going to just like hang out on Facebook, um, you know, that's what I did when I was single. Uh, before, you know, I was just spending all this quality time in my house. But if I was going to hang out on Facebook, I'd go to Starbucks and I would just hang out there in, in public. Home was my home base only. And so this has been a little bit of a transition for me of, of just kind of being at home and resting at home. And now my home, like yours probably has, has transformed a little bit. Now my home is not just a home base. Now it's it's my home office, right? I mean, this is kind of my my, my setup here. Um, I got my little bookshelf back here and uh, this is a little nativity scene. Uh, if you see this little king, I'm wondering what that ceramic king is. Um, and so my home office is now where I work from. My gym. Uh, my gym keeps sending me videos that I, I can watch on the TV and they keep saying, you know what, you can work out at home. Your home can become your gym. And they even have it where you can go live on Zoom and like watch other people working out and we all work out together. Uh, that that hasn't happened for me yet. I'm not I'm not that desperate yet. But uh, your home can become your gym uh, during this time. It's it's going to be maybe a barber shop soon because I had to I had to cancel the recent recent haircut appointment because I didn't want to get too close. So my hair is getting longer. So soon my house is going to become a barber shop or maybe maybe a salon if we get fancy with the dog trimmers. And uh, so my house has been transforming over the last 14 days into some different things. And my guess is that for you, uh, whether you, you like being at home or not, I mean, my guess is your house has been transforming as well. Because if you're a parent, uh, much to your chagrin, your house is now a schoolhouse. And you're now doing school at your house. 
Uh, maybe if if you used to love going and getting your nails done, uh, maybe they're they're growing out and you can kind of see, what do you call it? The root of the nail? I don't know what you call it. The base of the nail? I don't know. Maybe now your house is going to become a nail salon. Maybe you used to love going out to the movie theater. Your house is now a movie theater. Our houses have been transformed over the last 14 days into other things. And um, we, we see uh, in the chat, you know, some people are loving staying at home. Other people are, you know what, wishing they could stay at home, but they have to go to work in the hospitals like Teresa. Um, and other people uh, are having to have interventions by their family members. And I think it's good to intervene with your family members and tell them, please stay at home. But our homes have been transforming over the last 14 days. And this morning, I want to talk about one more transformation that I think your home needs to make uh, today and in this season ahead. And even when the season is over, I think this is a transformation that would be good for your home. And, and so maybe you're tired of being at home, but I want to encourage you during this time of staying at home to experience this other transformation. And so this morning, I want to say a word of prayer. I want to open up God's word together and talk about what God might want to do in our homes during this season. So would you bow your head with me? Almighty God, we we thank you for the ability to be together uh, virtually, uh, even in this time where we can't be together physically. I thank you for the, the joy and the chat room and the fellowship that we can have even when we don't have coffee and we don't have fresh biscuits and, and jam like we're used to. God, I thank you for the people that you're connecting us with um, all over the world right now. And for the families who are who are looking for hope, looking for love, looking for connectedness that, that are now finding that through this live stream. And God, we know that you can work through these means. And so we ask that you would do it during this time. We ask that you would speak to us. And then we ask that you would move through us today and in these days ahead. And we ask all of this in your son, Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, as we look at this, this transformation, I think needs to happen in our homes. We're going to be looking this morning in Mark chapter 14. And if you've been reading Mark with us, this is actually going to be tomorrow morning's reading. And if you haven't joined us before, we're reading through the gospel of Mark together all the way up until Easter. And so if you go to our website, harvestpointumc.com slash Mark, there you can find a reading guide. And so in Mark chapter 14, I mean, we're kind of heading into the final days of Jesus's life on earth before his crucifixion. And so Mark chapter 14, verses one and two, uh, the, these first couple of verses, they give us the context of what's going on during this time. And so here's what we read. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus and secretly kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So it's kind of a little context of what, what's going on in the scene here. And then Mark tells us that Jesus was in Bethany, which is where it's kind of his home base when he was in Jerusalem and doing different stuff in there. And it's, it's a small village, a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. And so while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came 
with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured it on his head, poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? I mean, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. And so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So I don't know if anything jumped out at you in that passage when you were hearing it just now. But one of the things that really stuck out to me this week is where the majority of action in this passage is taking place. I mean, did you catch where it was? It was in a home. It, it was in a home. And uh, it was in a kind of a, an interesting home. Mark tells us it was the home of a man named Simon the leper. And now uh, we don't know a lot about Simon the leper. A lot of times in the Bibles, they'll mention a character and uh, that's kind of it. And so throughout church history, we have to try to put things together. And we don't really know much about Simon the leper, whether he had been healed by Jesus, whether he'd been healed a long time ago, whether he'd been healed from leprosy recently. But regardless, Jesus is in the home of this former leper. And um, it's likely he was former because it's, it's unlikely the huge crowd would have gathered at the home of a leper. But even if he was a former leper, it still would have been a surprising thing to, to be eating in his house because even lepers who had been cleansed, they were still pushed to the margins of society. And so here Jesus is doing something surprising uh, to many people. And that day is he's eating with this man who had been marginalized by society. But now if you've been reading Mark with us, you know that this isn't that surprising because Jesus, he loved spending time with the marginalized. He loves spending time with the sick. He loves spending time with people that the world ostracized and pushed to the edge. And so Jesus is in this house of a man named Simon the leper. And in this surprising place, a surprising act takes place. It's, it's kind of the center focal point of the story. A woman does something over the top and extravagant. And now Mark doesn't tell us this woman's name either. He, for his gospel, he doesn't really tell us much about women at all and their names and, and, and who they are. A lot of times the women in Mark's gospel are anonymous. But in John's gospel, we have a parallel account of this story. And in John's gospel, we learn that this woman that Mark mentions here is actually a woman named Mary of Bethany. And Mary of Bethany, if you remember, has a sister who's named Martha. And Mary and Martha were the sisters of a man named Lazarus. And so it's very likely that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all related to Simon the leper, and they were all in this household together. And in John's gospel, we learned that this dinner party is taking place after Jesus does something amazing for Lazarus, after he raises Lazarus from the dead. 
And so it's likely that this party, this dinner party was in celebration of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, what would you do if, if Jesus raised somebody in your family from the dead, right? You would celebrate, you'd have a party, you'd pull out all the stops. And in the middle of this dinner party, Mary does something wild. She goes to the place in her house where she keeps her most prized possession. I don't know if you have that place in your house. Um, if you do, I would love to hear it in the comments. No, just kidding. Don't put that in the comments, okay? Don't put where you keep your most prized objects. I'm not going to tell you where, where mine are either, uh, but they're locked up, right? And so Mary goes to this place where her most prized possession is, and it's likely a family heirloom that's been passed down over time. And her most prized possession is this jar of perfume, a perfume made of an herb called nard. It's found in modern-day Nepal in India. And this perfume would have had an intense and a warm odor, and she gets this perfume. And Mark doesn't tell us exactly what she's thinking, but as we put together these different accounts, it's likely that she was thinking, how can I thank Jesus for what he's done for me? How can I express my gratitude and honor and joy for him raising my brother from the dead. I mean, I mean, I don't even know how, how I could think to repay Jesus or to thank Jesus. But I mean, she thinks, you know what? This is my most valuable object. And so she takes her object from that secret place and she goes and she pours the perfume on Jesus's head. She anoints him like kings throughout the Old Testament were anointed. And the perfume is just pouring down Jesus in this moment. Mary drawing close to him in this beautiful act, pouring the perfume on him. And if you've been reading in Mark, it's not surprising what happens next. I mean, whenever people come up to Jesus, the disciples are always trying to like push him away and tell them they're not doing the right thing and all of this stuff. And so uh, the disciples, it doesn't say clearly, but it's likely the disciples, and we know in particular it's Judas, they pipe in and they're like, wait a second, before the oil even hits the ground, they're complaining and they're saying, what's going on here? Why is she doing this, right? This, this money could have been given to the poor. She could have sold this. I mean, this, this jar of perfume is worth a year's worth of wages, which, I mean, just say today, just say it was worth $25,000 she pours on his head and they're complaining, they're causing a stir. And Jesus, like he does oftentimes, he corrects them. And he says, hey, stop complaining. Stop bickering. What this woman has done is something beautiful. What this woman has done is something prophetic. This is pointing to his future burial, to his future death, the way he's going to sacrifice himself on the cross for us in just a few days. Jesus says, look, what this woman has done is actually going to be remembered throughout history. In verse 9, I love this. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And now 2,000 years later, we're telling this story. Jesus' words were right. Jesus lifts this woman up as an example for us to look at, for someone for us to remember, for someone to us, he lifts her up as someone for us to reflect upon. 
And so this morning, as we reflect upon her and her actions together, one of the things that I've been thinking about is, is this action of hers and how through this one action of hers, she transformed her home. She transformed her home from simply a home where there was dinner parties, where there was activities, where they ate and where they slept. She transformed her home from a home into a house of worship. Think about that. Through this one act of overwhelming, extravagant devotion to Jesus, she transformed her home into a house of worship. And this week, as we've all been stuck at home, I mean, that's what I've been thinking about for us. I've been thinking about for us, I mean, what if our homes didn't just become movie theaters and offices and schools. What if our homes during this season were actually transformed into houses of worship as well? What difference would that make in our lives and in the world around us? And that might sound a little intimidating to you because you think of worship and you think, okay, well, I mean, for worship, you know, usually it requires uh, great music like we heard earlier it requires somebody who can really pray powerfully. It requires a pastor or a preacher. It requires all these people with these skills. Um, but, but worship at its essence is simply giving worth, ascribing worth and honor, gratitude and, and glory, giving glory and honor to someone or something that's do it. And so Mary in the story, I mean, she's worshiping Jesus in this moment in her home. She's not worshiping with song. She's not worshiping through a live stream. She's not worshiping uh, by, by praying. She's worshiping as she pours this perfume on his head because she's giving gratitude. She's expressing glory and honor to him. She is worshiping. And, you know, Mary does this in response to what Jesus has done for her. Jesus raised her brother from the dead. And so, I mean, this is like, you know, you think, oh, what's the, what, you know, what, 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 what else could she do, right? I mean, she gives him her most prized possession. And so, you know, for us, we're living 2,000 years later after this. I mean, this was before, this happened before Jesus rose from the dead, before Jesus gave his life on the cross. And so now, 2,000 years later, we're living on the other side of all of that. And so while Mary had a lot to be grateful for, I mean, think about you and me, we have even more to be thankful to Jesus for. Because not only has Jesus promised that, that our loved ones who die in Christ will be raised to new life through him, he also promises to you and to me the gift of eternal life through him. He promises us that through faith in him, we can have resurrected bodies like his body. He promises us that through his sacrifice given once and for all for us on the cross, simply by coming to him through prayer, we can receive forgiveness for our sins. He promises us that he has conquered sin and death and nothing can stop his love from reaching us. He promises us that, that his presence is with us always. And so, I mean, when you, when you think about how much Mary had to be grateful for, I mean, you and I, we have even more things to be grateful for. And so all of this should really lead us to, to worship and, and to, to turn our homes into houses of worship. But I think the reason this hasn't happened is because even though we're all watching online here in our homes today, we still have in our minds that a house of worship is, is a church. 
it's a building, right? We, we think of worship and we think of a house of worship and we think worship needs to happen in the walls of a church. But the story reveals to us that worship doesn't have to happen just gathered together in a church. I think that's amazing. And I think God calls us to gather corporately and we're going to do that when we can. And we're going to be so grateful when we can hug and we can shake hands and we can eat the biscuits and the jelly from our great hospitality team once again, right? We're going to look forward to that. But the story points out to us that even now we can worship in our homes. Our homes can become houses of worship, not just on Sundays, but on Mondays, on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays, on Thursdays, and beyond. And you know, I mean, when you, when you keep going throughout the Bible, I mean, if you keep reading, and, and once you finish Mark, I mean, I encourage you to keep going. When you read in the book of Acts, that's where you see people gathering, right? Oftentimes people gathered in homes to pray and to worship. When the churches faced persecution and pandemic before, where did they gather? They gathered in homes. And homes became houses of worship. One of my favorite uh, parts of history to read is American history on the frontier in 1700s. And there's a a great Methodist preacher. His name's Peter Cartwright. And he wrote a biography. You can download it on Kindle if you're interested in reading about how uh, wild the Methodist preachers used to be. And he writes about how on the frontier, there weren't any church buildings Right, People were just going and selling in the middle of nowhere. So Peter Cartwright, he rode on horseback and he would just ride up to houses. He would ride for days, come to a house and he would say, hey, can I sleep here? Can I preach here? Can I lead your family in prayers? Can we gather the community together and make this home a house of worship? And this is what we see throughout history. And I think one of the blessings of this season, right? I mean, we have to look at, at, at the blessings during this time and have gratitude, even though there are a lot of things that are terrible and there's a lot of bad things going on. I still think we're called to see the blessings. And one of the blessings during this time, I think, is that we're beginning to see as people of faith that worship isn't confined to the walls of the church. You and I can worship at home. Our homes can become houses of worship and we can do this personally And we can do this as families and as communities as well. And so when it comes to to practically, I mean, making your home a house of worship, I I know that still might sound a little intimidating for some of you. Um, And so I just want to give you three little tips here. Three tips for, I got to figure out how not to hit this this thing. Um, Three tips for your home becoming a house of worship. And I, I think it all begins with remembering remembering the foundational truth of our faith that Jesus is with us. God has not left us alone in this world. God has not abandoned us. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And although Jesus died, he rose again. And he rose again, he ascended into heaven. But before he went up into heaven, one of his final promises to us in Matthew chapter 28 was, Behold, I am with you always until the very end of the age. And so I think worshiping at home begins with remembering that Jesus is with us even now. I mean, right now you're, you're on your couch. Maybe, maybe you're like in a little padded chair, like we have on Sunday mornings. Maybe you're in a recliner. Maybe you haven't even gotten out of bed yet. Jesus is with you. 
He, he's here in this room with me. He is with us. And so when we remember that Jesus is with us, not just in a church, not just in a cathedral, not just in these places that we've deemed holy in the past, when we remember that he's here, that can help our homes become houses of worship. So I think it begins with remembering, and then I think it, be, it continues with reflecting. Reflecting on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for each of us and for the world. And you can do this personally. I mean, you can personally take stock of these things or you can reflect together as a family. And I'd encourage you after this service is over when you're eating lunch is to reflect together and say, hey, what are you grateful to Jesus for today? It's a great way to start a family worship in your home. What are you grateful to Jesus for? Think about that. And it, I mean, think about, especially as we head into the Holy Week and reflect on Jesus's passion his death and his resurrection. Think about the sacrifice that he made for you and for me. Think about the power and the glory of his resurrection. Think about how he's given you and me power over sin in our lives and power over death. He has given us hope because he is a way maker. He is light in the darkness. I mean, reflect on all of those things. And, and, and maybe it's good. Some people like to journal and that's how they reflect. I think that's a great way to do it. Maybe it's simply through reading and reading scripture and reflecting on these promises of God and what he's done for us. But reflection, I mean, it means slowing down. And some of you right now, you're slowed down, but maybe you're just watching all the latest Netflix shows. Uh, but maybe it means just slowing down and taking time every morning and just reflecting on Jesus and what he's done for you and for me and discussing this with other people. And so it's, it's remembering he's with us, it's reflecting. And then it's not just keeping it in your head, but it's actually responding like Mary did. Responding with acts of devotion. I mean, Mary, we see she responded by, by giving Jesus the most valuable object that she had and, and doing this act of love, anointing him with this perfume. And the, we can respond with acts of devotion and they can look like many different things. I mean, it might simply look like praying and just saying to God, God, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and for all that he's done for me and naming out specifically those things that you're grateful for. It might look like singing. Throughout the Bible, we see that singing is one of the ways God's people worship him and honor him and proclaim his glory. That's what we see throughout the Psalms. That's what we did this morning. And so, hey, nobody's around. Put in the headphones and just sing. Sing at the top of your lungs. Maybe it looks like making music. And you might not consider yourself a musician, but maybe you can hum, maybe you can whistle. I, I was with some friends in Greenville uh, many years ago, and they were about to put their kids to bed. Their kids were about three and four, and I had no experience with kids at this point in my life. And they pulled out this box of instruments, and the kids just started banging on them, like drums and xylophones. and It was just like nonsensical music, just like, sounded like chaos to me. And I was like, hey, thought they were supposed to wind down as they head to bed, um, you know, me not being a parent. And they said, oh, well, yeah, no, they are kind of winding down. This is part of their bedtime routine. Every night before bed, we pull out this box of instruments and our children worship God by playing them. They were three and four years old, just playing out songs, praises from children to God, giving him thanksgiving and honor. So, I mean, you can do it making music. You can uh, make art. 
right now, look, nobody's going to see your art. You can just draw. You can sketch. Maybe worship for you looks like giving in this season. Mary gave her most valuable object. Maybe it looks like giving financially to, to, to the mission and the ministries that are going on all around us through local nonprofits and through the church. Maybe it looks like giving your time giving your talents and your abilities for the good of other people and serving them during this season. Maybe it looks like just going on a walk in, in your neighborhood and being in nature and just telling God how great He is. I, I think worship at home, it begins with remembering He's with us, reflecting on who He is and what He's done, and then us responding like Mary did. And as we do those things, our homes can be transformed. Transformed from homes into houses of worship. And, and, and speaking of houses of worship, I read an article this week that said last weekend was perhaps one of the most significant weekends in the history of, of modern Christianity. Because for the first time in modern history, the majority of Christians around the world, they didn't gather inside the walls of churches and cathedrals. They didn't gather in, in their normal church buildings or, or under their normal uh, pavilions that they're used to gathering under. Instead, millions and millions of Christians, because their governments wouldn't let them or because it was inadvisable to do so, they gathered together in homes and they worshiped like we're doing now. Homes became houses of worship. And like I said earlier, I can't wait to gather again. But one of the things I think God is trying to teach us during this time is that worship is beyond the walls of the church. Worship is something that's beyond Sunday morning. Worship is beyond just clicking play on a live stream. Worship is an activity that God wants us to participate in, to be involved in, to give our lives to not just on Sundays, but on Mondays, on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays, on Thursdays, on Fridays, and beyond. And so this week, I want you to, to be thinking, I mean, what if your home wasn't a, a place where you're trapped, a place where you're, you're mandated to stay for the good of others? What if you began thinking of your home, not as somewhere where you're stuck, but as a sanctuary, a place where God is present with you, where he wants to meet with you and where you can worship. Think about that this week. And let's pray that God might make it so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, for his love, for his ministry, for the ways that he reached out to those on the margins of society. God, we thank you for his miracles, for the miracles that he's doing now. We thank you for his sacrifice, for his love that led him to the cross and for the power that he has over death. God, right now we would be hopeless without Jesus in our lives. Uh, we wouldn't know what to do or where to go, but we thank you for this hope that we have in this tumultuous season in our world. And so God, we pray um, that, that you would help us be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community and in our world. And I pray this week that you'd help us during this season where things are different, you'd help us to slow down, to remember that, that your son is with us, 
to reflect on all the good things he's done for us and for the world. And God, help us respond, not just sit back as passive spectators, but but to lean in and to worship you in spirit and in truth this week. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, who's with us now in his precious and holy name. Amen.